Two sisters lived on separate sides of the states. One in NYC and the other LA. They both moved to Chicago and decided to stay. Now here's their playful podcast packed with Kid Lit Parlay. Children's books. Are they really that great? Talking children's books is with Kate and Fuse 8. Children's books. Why, what, and how? Fuse 8 and Kate will break it down for you now. Oh! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! picture books we can discuss there's a lot there's, there's a lot there's five years worth so far and we i bet you anything we can do five years more we'll see. five years more <laughs> five years more uh and in that vein we will also actually we should probably mention be at the upcoming american library association conference in washington dc yeah i'm excited the annual conference i'm excited as well gonna be a lot of big names there yeah we haven't been in dc in a few years and, uh, yeah, so we are going to be hanging out. Uh, we will be there uh, this Saturday, this, this upcoming Saturday, and we will be there. We would love to see you guys. We haven't located a location quite yet, but if you are interested in hanging out with us, please give us a message. You can do it through our Twitter, or you can do it uh, directly through our Instagram. Uh, Instagram. Email. You can email us at fuse8kate at gmail.com. Yep. We will tell you where we will be, and we will all hang out and have a wonderful time. I mean, I'm also going to have a green mohawk, so I'm pretty sure that'll be Very quite nice. obvious. <laughs> yes, you'll have a watercress green mohawk. Yeah. Yeah. Ish. Ish-esque. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, besides going to D.C. and uh, celebrating anniversaries, what is it we do on this here podcast? Oh, we talk about children's picture books. And what we talk about them. If they're good or not. Yeah, we do. And today's book, well, this is this is kind of appropriate for our five-year anniversary. I have selected a book that uh, there has been, since 1969, a long-standing debate as to whether or not it is a children's book. It is definitely a picture book, but is it actually for children or not? I would argue, and, and we will debate whether or not this is true. When it came out, it was not considered a children's book. I would argue that in the current era of what books are being made for kids right now, is a children's book, but a little dated maybe in some ways. We shall see. I actually found it while weeding my adult section um, and uh, and ran across it, had no idea it existed, and and found it and was delighted. So here we go. Okay. Black Misery by Langston Hughes. The final book. By Langston Hughes. This is the very last book that Langston Hughes ever did. Uh, and it was just sitting on the shelf. It's, it was reprinted in 20... No, I'm sorry. In 1994 by Oxford University Press. Not this edition. This edition right here is, I believe, the original 1969 edition from Paul S. Erickson Incorporated. Uh, and now it is yours to read. It's a, it's a quick read there. Okay. Go enjoy that. 
while Kate does her read, let's get a little background information on Black Misery, which was actually a little difficult to find. Uh, I've found what I could on it. I suspect that if I had gone systematically through the Langston Hughes biographies, I probably could have found additional information. But in any case, this was by no means the first picture book that Langston Hughes ever did. Some of you may recall that... uh, In 1953, Langston Hughes had been put on trial for being a communist. This made it very difficult for him to be hired. He was blacklisted. During that era, how did he make money? A lot of people actually made money by creating children's books. And so one that he created, for example, in 1955 was the Book of Jazz, which is beautifully illustrated. I think you should check it out. This comes at the tail end of his career. Obviously, he died in 1967. This was the last book that he actually worked on. And it's an interesting little document because uh, it was illustrated by a French illustrator. Uh, Her name was Lynette Arouni. But she was born in Helena, Montana. So, you know, she lived in, she died in France, but uh, was in fact an American herself. And so... In my travels, I was able to find a blog post from the Missouri Historical Society Collection. Uh, This was a blog post from around 2015, and they wrote this, quote, Hughes finished the captions for the book in 1967, making it the last book he worked on before his death that same year. Black Misery is classified as a children's or juvenile book, but once you read the 60-page book, it becomes apparent that it is intended for a larger audience. It is not a rare book. Most academic and public libraries in the area have it in their collections. It has also been reprinted. Um, And so, as I said before, it was reprinted in 1994 uh, by the Oxford University Press. And this does beg the question, why hasn't it been reprinted since? Hmm. And you're back. Hello. Hello. I read a book. You did read a book. Yes. There are many pages in that book. Yeah, but they went quick. Yeah, the way I understand it is that he wrote the captions completely separately and that that the art was mostly done afterwards, Um, possibly after his death. Uh, Unclear. If anyone has any information about this book, I would love to hear it because I've heard no one ever speak about it before. Which is too bad. It is. And, well, as we go through it, I think some elements of it are, you know, just necessarily dated just because they take place in the past. But some of those elements are real up to date now. Yeah, I'd be curious to see if someone were to put this out today, what those illustrations would look like. Mm. Oh, right. If someone was to re-illustrate it? Yeah. And if they would change any of the words. Yeah, I would be curious as well. I feel like it's pretty long. I think some of these could be taken out. You could turn it from a 48 to a 32 pretty easily, I'd say. Yeah, I just, I wouldn't want any of them taken out. Right, (laughs) Well, and then there's that. This is the integrity of the original, so. So let's get into it. Okay, it's a little book, by the way. I should mention that. It's long. It is, it's just a little guy. It's just a little guy. You can understand how confused I was to find it in the adult section of my library, in the Langston Hughes section. Hmm. Well, we'll get into it. Okay. So every page has one sentence, Mm -hmm. and they always start with, misery is. Right. So before even getting into it, let me just define what misery means according to Google. Okay. Okay. Apparently, the definition of misery is a state or feeling of great distress or discomfort of mind or body. So I'm just going to... Put that out there. You just 
just think about that okay. as we go through the That's book. That's a good way to start. One thing I would like to do is sort of re-examine that word in the context of microaggressions and aggressions at some point. So we're going to put a pin in that. Okay. Okay. So the very first sentence is, Misery is when you heard on the radio that the neighborhood you live in is a slum, but you always thought it was home. That kind of just sets the tone for the entire book. (laughs) And uh, like I say, it's completely timely. Right. (laughs) To this day. Yep. Yep. Um, And the next page is, Misery is when the teacher asked you who the father of our country was, and you said Booker T. Washington. I mean, he was born a little too late to be considered the father of our country. Though, honestly, I'm not sure I'd say America has a father. We are a screwed up family, that's yeah, for sure. That's, that's true. I don't know <laughs> if you want someone to claim this family so nope. much. Yeah. No. Nope. Um, and then this is where I think it first starts to date the book, is when it says, Misery is when your pals see Harry Belafonte <laughs> walking down the street and they holler, Look! There's Sidney Poitier. Okay. Okay. Uh, kids are not going to know who so, either of those people but are. But if we were to update it very easily, um, here's a good example. You'd see Lawrence Fishburne walking down the street and you say, your friends say, hey, it's Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, because that happens. It unfortunately does happen. Harry Belafonte didn't look anything like Sidney Poitier either. So. Yeah. Yeah. The next page says, Misery is when your white teacher tells the class that all Negroes can sing and you can't even carry a tune. At which point I'm like, oh, this book is now going to start bringing up like casual racism in classrooms, societal racism, segregation, racist nursery rhymes. Would you call this a political book? All books are political to a certain extent by the choices that the book does and does not make. Um... I would not label this a political book. I would say this is a book that speaks to race. And whether you consider that a political thing or not, um, it's certainly... I don't think I'd use the word political myself. I'd say that this is a book... I mean, it's a book about race. So that's what I would say about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, There's another page that definitely dates this book because I didn't know what this meant. Okay. It's when it, uh, it says, Misery is when nobody told you the floor walker would stop you from riding up and down the escalator 16 times when mama is shopping. Floor walker? Uh, is okay. that someone who, like, was... on the department store floor and would walk walks? around? <laughs> yeah, that's a term I don't know. Yep, that, yeah. that was another time in which I was like, okay, I think it that's dated. Like a, it sounds like an insult. You floor walker <laughs> with your floor walking and your walking floor ways. <laughs> floor walker. Yeah, I, I, I didn't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, yeah. Do people still go to department stores? No, they don't. <laughs> and if they do, you can freaking ride that escalator as often as you like. Right. And this is the part where I think we start to debate... Uh, whether it falls into a kid's book or not, because, and I'm not going to say the word, but it says, misery is when somebody, meaning no harm, called your little black dog, insert, insert, N-word, and he just wagged his tail and wiggled. So at this point, I'm like, okay, if this book was redone, would they keep that word in there? And do you consider this now a kid's book Ah. by having that word in the book? Absolutely good question. If they were to reprint this book, they this is the reason they would print it for adults 
right there. Not because it's got a political message, but because it's included the N-word and they haven't taken it out. Now, if they wanted to make it kid-friendly, would they take out this passage entirely? It's the meaning no harm part that I actually think dates just as poorly. Mm. Because I don't think anybody using that word today would be considered to be meaning no harm. Well, it is a picture. The illustration is of a little white girl, mm-hmm. um, like in a little white dress, mm-hmm. pointing to the kid and his dog. Yeah. So my guess is that she learned that word. Yeah. But she mo- okay. So I see. Yeah. So yeah. She may it's not different know... if it's a kid and adult. Yeah. Right. So she may not know the history of that word. Oh, yeah, she just yeah. heard her dear adults saying yep. it all the time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, you're right though. This was the thing that would age it up considerably. Yeah. Yep. When we get to the illustration uh, next to the sentence, misery is when you have always heard the old folks say Mississippi is a place to be away from. And on your first day in a new school, the kids ask, are you from Mississippi? The illustration reminded me of Ruby Bridges. The outfit is almost exactly the outfit that Ruby Bridges is usually portrayed of in those in those photographs of, yep. of her going to school. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that was on purpose. I I wonder. I mean, the book came out in 1969, so, so it's entirely possible. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get to the part that I, I okay. Ah, so this if, one's hard. So it, the sentence is misery is when you start to play a game and someone begins to count eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Right. The now, context is lost in this one, unless the nursery you know the rhyme, I think, is one that. Folks to this day do not realize it has a racist origin right. with tiger originally being the N-word. The N-word, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm and the illustration is perfect because the kid, his eyes are wide open. And he's looking at you, right? Yeah, and he's looking yeah. at the audience. And all the other kids are, they're just like looking down or looking at the teacher. And yeah, this, this is, is one. Is the teacher doing the counting? He's doing the counting. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, and a kid today would have no idea. They'd be like, what? Catch a tiger by its toe. Exactly. Yeah, no idea. And yeah. I don't even think parents know either. Well, I think there are a fair number of parents who probably don't know yet. Yeah. When it gets to the part uh, where it says misery is when you can, when you find out your bosom buddy can go in the swimming pool, but you can't. I mean, this should be. This, you know, this that's book, historical right there. Right. Yeah. Clear segregation right there. This book should be an eye-opener to any white reader as you read through these different experiences over the next few pages, like the mother can't get a taxi cab. Mm -hmm. Um, That's still going on today. The uh, actors that are portrayed on TV. uh, Things that, as as a white person, you wouldn't really think twice about, but as you read the book, it kind of gives you a second pair of eyes to look through you know i've done a fair number of workshops with equity training um and a lot of them are based on to a certain extent just getting white people to acknowledge in with different exercises with different facts with different videos just their own privilege and i think this book does a good job of of sort of highlighting the stuff that a white person wouldn't even like think about exactly yeah Yep. And so which begs the question, is the audience for this supposed to be black or supposed to be white or supposed to be everybody? I would say everybody. Yeah, I would agree too. This is the one thing I don't understand, though. 
Um, when it says misery is when your own mother won't let you play your new banjo in front of the other race. And other is underlined. Yeah. Why not? I think it, there's a long tradition of the banjo with not just black slaves playing it, but also um, minstrel shows. The uh... banjo was considered uh, a standard, which is why it's considered very problematic um, in some imagery of to have a black person with a banjo huh. because of that. I didn't know. I yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the very end is definitely when it invokes Ruby Bridges, when it says misery is when you see that it takes the whole National Guard to get you into your new integrated school. Yeah. And it's the kid walking towards the school. You have the National Guard on either side of the sidewalk and all these protesters like yelling. And it's it definitely invokes that that picture that all of us have seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the art, though. I mean... The art in this book is very interesting. It looks like watercolor. It's pretty much black and white. It's all black and white. Yeah. Um, but there's shading. Right. Um, so it's not one of those cases where, like, sometimes you see black and white Im- and they don't bother to shade anyone in. They just sort of assume that you'll understand this person's black, this person's white from various facial or, you know, well, characteristics. Well, the, the illustration of when all the kids are in the dark and it says, but they claim they can't see you. And that's when there's definitely some interesting shading yeah. happening. No, I think that's because there's like really... a, a very like a thin white outline of all the other kids, but then yeah. there's shading on the main character. Yeah, there are some really interesting artistic choices being done here. That I, it's a much more, I'd say, nuanced um, art style than we saw in like, for example. Uh, little man, little man. When we were reading that uh, James Baldwin picture book, I don't know if you remember that one. The art there was very kind of broad. Uh, this is this is a little more sophisticated, I'd say. Yeah, my one qualm with this book, though, it's because of this physical book that I'm holding in my hand. Is uh, that the last two pages are stuck together, and I'm too afraid to pull them apart? Oh, you just pulled apart. I was gonna weed the darn thing anyway, but I don't think. Oh, there's anything there. I, but I can, I can oh, sort of. There. Yeah, but uh, I can, I can sort of see that there's a, a kid just sitting one. by himself, oh. which is oh. how the book ends. That's that's sad. Yeah, I mean, one reason that people might also, you know, taking away the language, taking away the historical context. Some people would argue, I'm sure, that this book is only for adults because it has the word misery in it. And, you know, how is that cheery for kids? But I feel like we are in an era right now where a lot of the children's books, the picture books, the older books, are acknowledging a lot of these microaggressions and problems that black people have faced for decades and decades and centuries um, in America. And that this book is, I mean very timely in some of its aspects though there are other aspects that have dated poorly yeah it's it's a fascinating book and i've i'm still kind of baffled as to why i've never heard anybody talk about it um because it's not like i mean langston hughes created quite a few children's books the fact that his final book was a children's book but then was marketed as adult and essentially but here's the thing it's been purchased widely i suspect a lot of people listening to this if you go to your local library and it is a large library i would not be surprised if it was on the shelves it is very prevalent particularly because it was reprinted in 94 and a lot of people bought it for that reason i mean they just saw the name langston hughes and they just purchased it probably not even knowing what it was Hmm. so but i also suspect it's in a lot of children's rooms um possibly forgotten 
you know, it's a very small book, easily, you know, gets pushed back on the shelves. So, yeah, it's interesting. Well, I'm ready to rate it if you are. Ratings time. Okay, so let's go back to the original definition of misery. Okay. A state or feeling of great distress or discomfort of mind or body. Mm -hmm. I think, given the different examples of racism given throughout this book, misery is a perfectly understandable word to use here. Um, it just makes me feel super sad. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> um, I, I would like to think that things have gotten better since 1969, but in a lot of ways, there hasn't been much change. Right. Um, I would definitely call this a teaching book, just like the first book that we reviewed, which was Tiki Tiki Tembo, but yeah. and this could be considered a teaching book. However, the difference between that book and this book is that this is actually good. Well, this is actually <laughs> by someone who is black, <laughs> as opposed There's to Tiki Tiki Tembo, which was not by someone of that race. Right. I, I like the simple illustrations. I like that it's in black and white. I like that it teaches kids the different aspects of racism, both the blatant and subtle, and I would definitely call this a classic. I gave it an 8. It just makes me sad because this was the last thing he wrote before he died. Yeah. Um, Never saw it published, and it came out two years after his death, as I understand it. It's an interesting case because would I hand it to a kid today? I think this is a teaching book, and I think absolutely if you sat down with a kid and and right. explained the situation, it's, you know, it kind of reminds me of the book Not My Idea, a book about whiteness by Anastasia Hickenbotham, which covers a, some of these same issues, but, um, you know, the N-word is in there, and that makes it tricky, but to be fair, kids are going to hear that word somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and better for an adult that they know and they trust to explain what the word is, why it's bad, why you should not just casually toss it around, and why its use in this book is um, a good example of how under no circumstances should you do that. And the history of the word, especially when you also have the nursery rhyme in there. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, there's, and like you say, the Harry Belafonte said me Poitier thing, that hasn't aged well. Floor walker. And the floor walker <laughs> is confusing. Um, so for those reasons, it's obviously not as timely as some of the stuff that's coming out now. But honestly, it's beautiful to look at. It's a very beautifully illustrated book. Um, you know, fair play to Lynette Aruni. Um, she did a great job. So I'm not as high as you, if only because I think the dated elements make it a little more difficult to sell. So I'm more of a 6.5. But I think it's an important book, and I think it deserves a reprint, honestly. So with our scores combined, it's definitely a classic. Definitely a classic. What you do with it, that is up to you, the parent, or you, the teacher, or you, the librarian. Or you, the reader. Or you, the reader. Letters time. All right. The first one's coming from Laura. Hello, Laura. We had had put out the, uh, the query as to whether or not there were any Mohawks to be found in picture books. Yeah. Laura wrote in. She says, I seem to remember Kate requesting a picture book with a mohawk in it. Well, you came close with Let's Get a Pup, said Kate. Love that book, by the way. But didn't quite make it. But, but, I was reading Maxine, another Bob Graham book to my daughter. And look what I found. An honest-to-goodness mohawk. A pink one, no less. And she included the picture. We will put that in the show notes. It is evidence that there is at least one picture book out there that has a mohawk. 
Finally. It's, it's somewhere out there at least. Yeah. So there you go. All okay. right, illustrators, We've... make a second one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, illustrators, let's see what you have. And they could, you know, look like me. That's okay. Sure. I'm sure <laughs> she wouldn't mind. All right. The second one has to do with our five-year anniversary. And this Ooh. comes from Wednesday is Cake Day, which is a great name. Yes. Happy anniversary, and thank you for five great years. Aww. I so enjoy the fresh perspective that Kate brings and the background info that Betsy digs up. And I definitely now look through picture books with an eye for tattoos. Yes. 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 And for those of you who have not listened enough, Kate will sometimes pick out the image from a picture book that she would turn into a tattoo if she was so inclined to do so. Grown-up things we like. Okay, so this past weekend, I had to go to a wedding in Callaway, Minnesota, which is... A very popular place. It's uh, it's where the Maple Lag Ski Resort is, in case you ever need to do some cross-country skiing. They they have a bottomless cookie jar, and they have a million puzzles. It's Tell a great place. about this bottomless cookie jar. Anyway, so in order mm-hmm. to get there, you have to fly to Fargo, North Dakota, and then drive an hour to Callaway. Well, let me tell you, you can fill one afternoon, um, not two. <laughs> with, not two. I like the distinction. Okay. With, uh, with a few things to do in Fargo. So if ever you're in the area for, I will give you about five hours tops. Here are three things that you can do in Fargo. So here's what you can do. Number one, go to the visitor center and see the actual wood chipper used from the movie Fargo. Uh, the Coen brothers signed it. They sell uh, uh, Christmas ornaments of the wood chipper. Did you get one? Oh, I sure did. Darn right you did. I just need to cut off a Barbie foot and stick it in it. Oh, wait, it doesn't come with a foot? It doesn't come with a foot. Boo. I know. Ooh, the Barbie foot would be like the opposite version of the leg lamp from A Christmas Story. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's all about severed <laughs> limbs, baby. Uh, number two, go check out the street art and the murals downtown. There's at least 10 that you will find throughout downtown Fargo. Nice. And number three, technically this is Minnesota, but it's right over the moorhead fargo line yeah uh, don't they keep going to brainerd in the movie anyway yeah you can see the world's largest dilly bar and who doesn't like dairy queen so stop on Is over it there a real dilly bar uh no well then where's the large the largest it's, real it's, dilly bar in the I, I didn't say it was real you can go uh, get a dilly bar and eat it in front of the world's largest dilly bar that sounds delicious actually it you know it was crazy hot and it was glorious so (laughs) that's a good day to be eating a dilly bar yes so thank you fargo oh that's a good one mine is not particularly exciting i am finally uh beginning stranger things season four wow it is what you've already watched the whole thing dude i binged the whole thing in like two three days (laughs) i've watched one episode and i'm very proud of myself because it is hard for me to get through uh television shows because i really only have one day a week that I can do it, and there's so much to watch. But I have at least started Stranger Things season four. Yep, it's uh, it's when it starts becoming a horror series. But usually, each season is sort of influenced by '80s um, entertainment. So, like the first season, there was a bit of ET to it. Um, definitely some poltergeist things like that. I in the first episode, I'm not having. I mean, sort of an exorcist thing, but I'm not really getting what the influences are yet. Uh, can you elucidate me? Can you can you tell me what they are? Well, I can tell you without giving too much away that the guy who originally played Freddy Krueger 
is in this season. Robert England? He sure is the one how, and only. How proud are you of me that I can come up with, with the actor's very, name? Very proud. Yeah, very proud. Very yeah. proud. Thank he's, you. Robert England? He's That's in the series. so wonderful to hear. I'm yeah. so delighted. I was also very amused um, that apparently there's this song from Kate Bush called uh, Running Up That Hill, A Deal With God, that plays throughout the series and mm-hmm. is her first top 10 Billboard charts hit many many years after it came out from the 80s yeah and uh and she's been rather amused by it as well yeah it's great so it's a good song i remember hearing it be like that's a good song i should check that out and spotify was like would you like to hear the entire soundtrack for all the stranger things seasons and i was like no i would not (laughs) i just wanted to find that song so uh yes we're gonna be in ala again folks you want to hang out reach out to us reach out to us let us know where you're gonna be We'll tell you where we're going to be. It's probably going to be in some bar somewhere. Yes. Don't warn you. Come and talk to me because I'm not going to know anyone yeah, or know anything. Know nobody. <laughs> know, I'm, not, I'm not introducing her to anybody. I'm just going <laughs> to let her flounder. That's my, that's my motto. Just surround so. myself with librarians and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Just put on some glasses. You I'm just going to bookmark like every page and see how many people I can make angry. <laughs> you mean dog ear every page? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah right there. You got to get the terminology oh. down. If you're going to make people mad, figure right, out how to do right, it. All right. I'll figure right, it out. Yeah, all right. And until Kate figures out how to dog your page, <laughs> I've been Betsy. I'm Kate. Bye. Fuse 8 and Kate is a Fuse number 8 production. You can reach us at FuseKate8 at gmail.com. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Fuse underscore Kate. You can follow us on Instagram at Fuse8Kate. That's Fuse number 8 Kate. Listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Player FM. And follow us on iTunes and rate our podcast if you're so inclined. Our music is by Haddon Kime, and our stranger thing is Drew Atienza. Fuse 8 and Kate is a creation of Kate Atienza and Betsy Bird. <laughs>